question the voices of res and I hear Plastics is an SBE-sponsored podcast. Hi. Okay, it is. Hello. How are you, Lindsay? Hello, girl with the red hair and the brown eyes, as my <laughs> oldest son refers to you. They are hazel. My 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 eyes are hazel, but not that's according okay. to Henry. He probably doesn't know that word yet. <laughs> you know, he'll get there. I'm sure with proper training, he will learn. <laughs> Good to see you. Yes, it is very nice to see you on this lovely, at least snowy day in Erie. So um, I don't know if you guys have snow yet. Um, we, we had snow, I guess a little bit is still on the ground, but, um, it's like close to freezing today. No, we're, we're talking multiple inches. So, uh, Oh, what a good time. What a day. (laughs) So I am Mercedes Landasbury and I'm Lindsay Neville and with our powers combined, we are flash chicks, the voices of resin. Ah, what a lovely thing. We've had this podcast for a few years now. This What season is this for? Is this our fourth or fifth season? I think we're on the sixth season. But also, <laughs> maybe, maybe you're behind, maybe I'm ahead. Where does the time go? Where I mean, some of the more pandemic years, so like that's all kind Those of Those blur together, they don't necessarily count, or they count double. I don't know. They count double. Yeah, triple, quadruple. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can listen to our podcast. It's released the uh, first Friday of every month. You can listen to it on um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Spotify, Stitcher, all the podcasty places. Yep. And if you're interested in the video version where you can watch us be weird in person, um, you can catch us on the YouTube channel for 4SPE. The number four and then SPE. That's it. Um, So today we have, um, I think this is a first. We actually have a trio of guests um and we're very excited about it we have gretchen hoffer farm charlotte hoffer canning and alex hoffer the co-ceos of hoffer plastics uh an industry leader and innovator in custom injection molding so welcome thank you thanks Thanks, and congratulations on season six if this is season six, thank you. <laughs> um, so Hoffer Plastics was uh, now you're you're local to me here. You're you're in the Chicagoland area, um, and you were established uh, in 1953 by your grandparents Bob and Helen Hoffer. Is that correct? Yes. Wonderful. So um, so can you tell us a little bit about how and why they got started? Our grandfather uh, started his career in plastics, and he wanted to start his own his own company. So he came to Elgin where my grandmother uh, grew up and found, found some land, found a building and started our business. And here we are, you know, 70 years later, we just celebrated our 70th anniversary. What a good time. And, you know, obviously I am very biased towards injection molding. Other processes, why bother? Um, so I'm really excited. She forgets extrusion all the time. She forgets it. No, I don't forget. Well, you, I you specifically act like you, you act like you do for good reason. Injection molding is the best at smolding. I will take no other information. So when your grandpa, you know, was starting out, um, you know, trying to your grandparents were creating this company, you know, did they have a vision in mind for what kind of injection molding? I mean, well, going on 71 years at the time, he's 
at the forefront of injection molding. <laughs> he was a pioneer. He, I think it stemmed from the, his love of just plastic and solving customer issues. And he, my kind of guy, <laughs> he started an injection molding uh, company, and that seems to be where we've stayed. That's our sweet spot. So we've stayed an injection molding company for seventy years, uh, serving our customers through multiple different industries and doing it very successfully. Starting at the beginning, you know, you really have to you really have to evolve over a lot of, you know, different, you know, you're talking different types of presses, you're talking different uh, types of materials, different types of even industry choices coming to injection molding. You know, how do you handle that kind of incoming wave of new chaos? Because that's, that's not just saying like, okay, there's a new iteration of the iPhone, let's adjust and move accordingly. That's saying, we have uh, hydraulic knob presses. Um, now we are, you know, <laughs> running all electrics. Like, well, how do you handle that? Like, serious level of change in a company that big? I think and I can speak to the twenty years I've been here, and as you've watched our employees grow and learn and evolve, we are much further along in our press technology. And you're right, we are seeing electric presses, all different types of technology. From we're putting in um, AMR systems and you know material handling system all throughout our plant to revolutionize how we handle our product. To I can speak even more so on the resin side. We run a hundred different raw materials of different kinds. So the complexity in which we run here and the diversity of materials we run is complex, but we adapt and we we learn how to do each new one and learn the new requirements. And I think our team has done a phenomenal job of learning and adapting to what the next industry, the next customer brings to the table and challenges us with. Gretchen, you mentioned uh, you've been at Hoffer for 20 years. I think, Charlotte, you've been there for almost 18 years now. Is that right? And Alex, about 15 and a half. That's correct. And I know that at least two of you um, started your careers with different companies. Gretchen, you were with um, American Express and Charlotte, I think, PepsiCo. Um, for um, seven and five years, respectively. What was that plan? Did you want to get experience with a different company before moving back to the family company? Had you originally originally thought, I never want to work for the family company. I want to do something totally different. What drew you back to Hoffer besides the name? <laughs> I'll start. I graduated college and took my CPA exam. So American Express Tax and Business Services purchased our public accounting firm at the time. And I worked seven and a half years in public accounting on the audit and tax side of the business uh, in the business world. Uh, when I left as an intern at Hopper Plastics in the, in the pre-college years, I was like, I'm not going to work here until I've gone somewhere else. So it was, um, I think it, for me, it was, you know, college graduate, single, and I moved to Chicago and wanted to go explore different, you know, explore something different and try a new career and why I came here is I was settling down. My husband and I were about to get married. And I decided if I was going to make a change, this was a good time. And I was ready to be a leader who could have influence and, and make decisions uh, for employees or for a business that would be impactful. And that was one of the reasons why I stepped out of the you know accounting audit and tax world and decided to come into pri the private sector and do something different. Yeah, for myself, um, similar to Gretchen, graduated from Purdue University, the School of Management with a marketing minor, and a 
initially went to uh, the sales training program for Northwestern Mutual, but was only there for a brief amount of time, figured out very quickly that it, it was definitely not going to be my career path to sell insurance. But long story short, ended up moving out to the East Coast to New York uh, with my fiance, who was born and raised in New York, and had the opportunity to get my foot in the door at PepsiCo and actually worked at um, the Pepsi Lipton partnership, which is a JV between Unilever and PepsiCo. So got experience really between both large consumer packaging companies, which was um, super exciting, especially, you know, being young and out of college to learn a lot about marketing and sales and would fill the sales position in the Northeast and then was transferred back to Chicago to cover the Midwest region for the Pepsi Lipton partnership. And uh, about six years in, got a call from my sister saying, you know, we have a, we're going to have a sales position open. Would you consider it, you know, at this point coming back? And I definitely had a good taste of corporate USA and uh, it was just felt like the right time to make the the investment to the family company to come back and start putting time and passion and energy into what our grandfather started. And clearly you moved back to the superior time zone. Lindsay is in East Coast time zone. Central time zone is the worst. No, it always trips <laughs> us up when we're planning these. <laughs> we've had to get very deliberate in how we, how we phrase what time. Yes. But, uh, yeah. um, and Alex, you know, you've, you've gotten your um, master's of education at DePaul prior to joining Hoffer. So were you initially planning a totally different uh, path or? Yeah, so I was the typical third child. Um, <laughs> I was the person that wanted to do everything from be a sports broadcaster to um, I actually thought about becoming a preacher at some point, going into ministry. Uh, then I went to grad school. Um, in between all that time, I did an internship with the Boys and Girls Club, and I also spent three summers at Hoffer Plastics and left the last day of the third summer saying I was never going to work. So, oh, wow. <laughs> um, yeah. So it was, you know, um, it was formative from the standpoint of some of the things that I was doing were necessary things, but I didn't see the big picture. Um, you know, I was typical 18 to 22 year old at the time and didn't see the big picture of working at Hoffer Plastics. And so I had a really, um, really good experience getting a master's degree in education and thought for a season of my life, I was going to pursue uh, being a history teacher, being a, um, a coach. I'm really into sports and kind of going down that track. Um, was able to be, uh, meet my wife when I was living down in the city, uh, similar to Gretchen, you know, I think uh, typical Chicagoan had that desire to live down in the city, go to grad school there, um, and kind of had a plan for my life that um, I guess you could say God had a different plan for my life because there was uh, just a season where, you know, that history thing didn't really work out. Um, turns out in the state of Illinois that uh, being an expensive uh person on the job scale from the standpoint of having a master's degree and not having any experience isn't necessarily a good thing. Uh, and so um, I actually was looking to get into uh, into sales and Charlotte had set me up with an opportunity uh, to get into sales through a connection she had. And that was the time when my dad kind of approached me. Um, I was actually personal training my dad at the time, and um, which is kind of a funny story, you know, on a side note. Um, and he said to me during the training session, like, you're going to sell. Why wouldn't you come sell at Hoffer Plastics? And so 
uh, in May 2008, I came on board. And, and so William Hoffer is is your dad, is that correct? And he's the okay. So he's the he's the the current chairman of the board and the former CEO. Got it. So yes. so over the years, I, 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 after you guys all came back to Hoffer and you worked your way up um, through the ranks, now you became co CEOs in June of 2023. What's it like? What's it like being co CEOs with with your family with with G three? I guess the third generation, right? And how is, I mean, having <laughs> siblings of my own, how? <laughs> well, we've been, um, our titles, you're correct. Our titles changed this year to co-CEOs, but the three of us have been leading the company since January of 2020, which was an awesome time, as you can imagine. <laughs> Very easy. Glad for you. <laughs> Super easy transition into day-to-day management of this company. Uh, so I think, you know, we we spent, Alex Gretchen and I have obviously knowing as family members that we're going to be running this company, we have spent many years planning and working through like, what does co-leadership look like? So we've spent, we've been very intentional about spending time and working through, okay, what happens when we don't come to an agreement on X? What happens in this circumstance? And really working through how is this model going to be efficient and growing and creating successful business for Offer Plastics? for, you know, the next however many decades we're all here. So it's a, it was a lot of upfront planning, but it was also, you know, we we all have different sweet spots and different things, you know, different personality and passions that really help drive and create a successful co-leadership structure. So I, I'm the extrovert and love to be out with people, love to be talking. Hence the HR, you know, handling and managing HR was kind of, the right fit for myself. Also super love marketing PR. So that's, you know, always been kind of the area that I have uh, spent my time and passion around. Alex, sales and operations focus. Gretchen, you heard, you know, heard her talk about her CPA, finance, supply chain, resin strategies, all of that. I'll let both of them, you know, add to that, but that all of that creates a lot of clarity and helps with success in the co-leadership structure. You know, one of my epiphanies uh, early on in this process was that, you know, my strong belief is that leadership is the process of doing things with and through other people. And with that definition of leadership, there's no other kind of leadership than shared leadership because you're always sharing influence. You're always doing things with and through other people. And so, um, you know, there was a time in my life where I thought, you know, being the CEO myself was something that I might aspire to. And and I think there was a season when I did aspire to that. Uh, But the more I thought and prayed about it, the more I realized that really any CEO that's worth their weight is going to be sharing influence. You know, they need a team. And so what what we did is just formalize that team uh, and then work through, you know, this decision-making process that Charlotte alluded to. Um, the cool story for us is that, you know, riding through COVID up until present day, you know, we really haven't had a, you know, issue that we haven't come to consensus on. Uh, and I would add quickly because, um, you know, we've done the hard work that she mentioned earlier, which includes meeting with a facilitator to talk through issues quarterly and, uh, you know, do some of the things that, you know, if we weren't co-CEOs in a business, we probably wouldn't do as siblings. Yeah, that's that's fair. (laughs) 
Yeah, I was going to say, if you mentioned the facilitator, I, I, if, if I'm an only child, but I've, I've lived with a lot of my cousins and I feel like if, if I were in such a position with, with my cousins who are closest thing to, that I have to siblings, um, we would definitely need like a family counseling session. Like, <laughs> oh, we, we would need the collared family would need a lot. <laughs> it's very impressive. Yeah. And you know, as of recently, you've added a VP of operations um, to kind of round out, you know, some of that leadership. Can you kind of tell us about that? Yeah, I'd love to jump in here. Um, one of our highlights of uh, this past year has been this hire. Uh, and um, I, I think it highlights something that we feel sort of passionate about at Offer Plastics. Uh, our core values are family, integrity, service, and trust. And so, you know, really what they mean is that we want to treat everybody on our team like they're part of the family. Uh, and so it's a pretty unique culture. And I think we can speak to that a little bit later in the, uh, in the interview. Um, and then integrity, you know, we want to be the same people behind closed doors that we are in public. And we want our team members to know that they're always to do the right thing. Um, service to us is, you know, we want to go the extra mile for the customer and, um, we're willing to be even punished to a certain extent for, for that value in, in, in the marketplace because you know, we just want to be that company that serves the customers, even if it hurts. Uh, and then finally, we want to have the type of culture where we can just trust people. You know, we, we believe that um, you got to earn trust over time, but you know, initially trust is given on that first day and you're continuing to earn it day after day. So that you know, longer explanation aside, um, this process for us was really important um, to make sure that we got the right individual. And so um, one of the things that we believe in is that you know, the ideal team player, to quote Patrick Lencioni, is humble, hungry, and smart. And so this process for us, um, in terms of finding that person, um, was one in which we asked a lot of poignant questions around culture, which quite honestly, whether it's the VP of ops or um, somebody who's just going to work on a production line, we treat them the same and offer plastics when they're part of the family. And so, you know, it, it was very important for us that we could find the right individual. And uh, we did, a guy by the name of Jeff Kabundi. Uh, he's uh, been here since the middle of 23. And uh, it's, um, you know, you got the right person when they make your job in your life easier. And that's what Jeff's done for the three of us. Yeah, company culture is, is so huge. And, and you know, knowing that it was this company was born out of your grandfather who came from corporate man manufacturing. Two of you had experience in, in the corporate world as well, where culture can be really different from a, a family company. Um, and I have to say, having worked with you guys in the past, I've been really, really impressed by the company culture at Hoffer. Um, and I, I, I have often, I hope it's okay that I bring this up, you know, to, to people, uh, on the outside too, that, um, I remember being in a meeting with you, Gretchen, and uh, I was, I was with a supplier and, um, I was so impressed, you know, you were, you were leading up the supply chain and you had brought in two production operators, um, who typically, you know, those, those, um, titles I, I'm not usually in meetings with, and it was so valuable for me to be able to talk with those two and hear their their concerns and wants and needs uh, so valuable to, to me as a supplier to understand how to better um, 
how to better meet your needs as a customer. Um, do your do your employees value it the same way? Do they do they see that difference? Do they feel it? I can speak to the meeting. I, I remember the meeting really well because we were trying to bring a new process to the production floor with the supplier for a colorant. And why I brought those gentlemen in the meeting was because they're the ones actually doing the work. And so I think they really appreciated that. And we still talk about that because I can make decisions up front, but never understand the impact to our production team or to the individuals on the floor. And I just don't believe that that's what our values are. Our values is to bring everyone together and to really work together to solve the problem for the customer. And so ultimately we need to be better for the customer. And by doing that, we introduce new technology. So we're introducing a new technology, bringing the people who are going to actually do the work to the table to make the decision is, you know, part of our values, part of our culture. Like give us your feedback, you know, tell me, I don't even know. I don't operate that equipment. I don't know the trouble I've heard, but I don't, I don't personally know. And so I think it's, it helps me as a leader to make better decisions as well, because I could make a decision that's bad for the company by not having them in the room with me. And so working together, collaborating and really solving the problem for the customer, ultimately, you know, the goal and working with vendors and hearing new technology, that's all about where we want to go in the future is to be implementing new technology, but doing it at a pace, we do it all together. I think that's, that's really smart. You know, that also provides insight, you know, up and down the chain of like how, what's the capability of this supplier. Now your operators are seeing that and, you know, they know you're not just, oh, I bet they picked a color because it looks stupid, you know, <laughs> it's or, not... or because it's, or, or because it, it looks better for the bottom line too. Right. Right. Know? Now well, they have that conversation. Know. I mean, I could make that decision just based on numbers on for the bottom line. But does that really make sense for the people on the floor? Does it make right. their job harder? What makes sense? And that's that's what we were collaborating about that day is what's the total picture? Yeah, right. and I think I think sometimes those decisions are being made with those considerations, but nobody's it's not being communicated. It's not seen, right. you know, up or down. And uh, I think people can get frustrated and kind of, you know, lose their their injection molding sparkle if you will. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I think that's, I think that's really great uh, that you were able to to do that. And I know Mercedes, Mercedes told me the story, I think before we even uh, talked about having you guys on the podcast. Yeah, it was, it, it had such it, a that's, So that's how, that's how big yeah. it was for her. <laughs> it was, it was, it was really impactful. And it's like, you know, and, and I want to conduct, you know, I was taught by by one of my mentors, you know, you, you I mean, this is only tangentially related. Welcome to the podcast. But, <laughs> but you know, that, that you always want to bring people with you, like to be a leader, you always have to bring people with you. And it's so key. It, it gives them I mean, it was just it just so so much better for information exchange for making everyone feel valued as well and for learning on everyone's part. So thank you again for that. I, I think that is um, that's a model that, that we should be considering more. And obviously that's paying off because you guys are just collecting all the awards hardware. Um, you know, you guys have won Plastics News Processor of the Year, Family Business of the Year, Sustained Excellence Award, and the Illinois Governor's Sustainability Award, which that is a long title, but I think that means it's extra big award. Um, 
So it's it's great to see plastics companies, especially being awarded sustainability awards, because I think, you know, people assume we're just constantly fighting trees or turtles or something like that. And, um, you know, it's like Illinois, but fighting so many turtles. Um, so can you guys talk about the sustainability award? Um, you know, what went into it and, you know, how you achieved it? Well, the the Sustained Excellence Award, I'll talk against that first. I mean, that was more recent. That that was all about financial excellence, innovation, and key people or persons who have been with the company, uh, three areas of which we continue to be firmly focused on. Uh, in terms of financial excellence, we our grandfather was, you know, set this company up for success, being a steward of, of the finances of this company and being, you know, very passionate about not carrying debt. So we, you know, we were a debt free company and very proud of that. But at the same time, you know, work very hard to be corporately responsible uh, in terms of innovation. We've talked a little bit already about the, you know, the trusty lock product line, our proprietary products and driving innovation that goes all the way through the technology in our in our company, new presses, uh, new automation projects going on and then key people or persons. Well, that that comes back you know to the family and our involvement for 70 years. So, you know, having third generation family members now running the company, you know, for sure talks about sustained excellence. So not that I mean. We've only been in charge for a few years, but G2 and first generation for sure have done heavy lifting and have gotten us to where we are today without question. In terms of sustainability award, and you know, all of this, while leadership sits firmly with the Hoffer family, none of this is possible without our team. We're foundational, but it is our team that, you know, shows up day to day and they're the ones helping us win these win these awards. There's no question. So it's our people who are doing the heavy lifting of making sure that, you know, we have a proficient recycling program, you know, put into place that was introduced really right when Gretchen started. And I, if I'm correct, I believe it was 2007, but whether it's helping our customers decades ago with more more recyclable options for their end use products, or whether it's internally in this company, we have, you know, a co-generation power system that, you know, not only has helped our local community with ensuring that we don't have brownouts, blackouts, things like that when the weather is inclement, but also helping nationally to pull ourselves off the grid when needed for the power companies to be able to sustain power nationally. So, and that all, all of it at the root of it, it comes back to the DNA that our grandfather set foot for being a good corporate neighbor and really making sure that we are doing everything that we can. So whether it's being super vigilant about the power, whether it's being super vigilant about, you know, the water in this building and making sure that, you know, we recapture, reuse and do whatever we need to have clean water. Uh, that was a priority for a long time. It was looking at lighting to make sure that we, you know, saved on lighting. And um, obviously landfill diversion is a huge part of that as well now. Uh, and always ha has been for many, many years, as well as reducing carbon emission. So all of these things, you know, were obviously you know, factors in our application that drove towards the Governor's Sustainability Award. And I love to see that, you know, the other components besides, you know, just, hey, we, we scrap our runners and we recycle them. You know, I think sometimes when there's, you know, from what little I feel like the public knows about plastics, 
companies. Um, you know, it's just how are you handling the plastic? How are you recycling the plastic? And there's so much more that goes into it, you know, with just operating a company, a manufacturing facility that is, you know, consuming water, consuming power, all that. Um, and, you know, being able to, you know, like you said, pull yourself off the grid if you need to, um, and managing the water, like uh, the amount of water that goes into injection molding, I think is, uh, that would be a fun fact for <laughs> those not in the know. Absolutely. So it's pretty clear, you know, just, just from talking with you briefly, even visiting your company's website, we're pretty clear, I think, to people in the industry that Hoffer isn't your average uh, injection molder, right? Um, I mean, and, and you mentioned, you know, you, you're also focused on innovation. You have that um, products like the, the trusty lock line, which is that that's the close closure for flexibles. Is that correct? Right. So what, so how do you approach innovation at Hopper? Yeah, that's the age old question, isn't it? Um, you know, when we think about innovation, um, it really goes back to grandpa. I mean, I, I think grandpa was very passionate about um, two things, really. I, I mean, I've heard the two messages over and over. And, and if I could sum it up, it's, Get your butt to see the customer and get your butt out on the floor to see the internal customer. It's all about seeing the people. <laughs> and um, the three of us have embraced that. Um, and really innovation to me starts with uh, getting your butt to see the customer and getting your butt to see the people on the floor because innovation is twofold. It's how do we help our external customer win more business? How do we make their lives better? How do we help the end consumer? Because a lot of the products that we manufacture offer plastics, you know, go somewhere else to get manufactured and then end up from there going to some, you know, consumer. Um, so how do we solve for that? Uh, and thinking, you know, not necessarily from our own vantage point, but from their vantage point, that's really important. But I think the other side of this uh, equation that uh, a lot of leaders forget is, we need to be the type of people that are on the floor, on our own floor, and not, you know, looking at things from the front office perspective, but rather, how could we make the lives of those on the production floor better? You know, Gretchen mentioned earlier, um, AMRs, autonomous mobile robots. So we have a project going on right now where we're going to, you know, we're implementing these AMRs, uh, and that's all around making people's lives on the floor better. Um, getting rid of those repetitive tasks of either making, you know, making boxes, better lifting boxes, you know, thinking about the safety of that, just, you know, I don't want to be the guy that's lifting, you know, five pound, 10 pound boxes every, you know, soon, you know, every half hour or so. Um, so why would I want people on the floor doing that, especially, you know, overnight or later, you know, when they're tired, that sort of thing. So that's just one small example um, so I, I think, you know, for the listeners, I, I, I think it's really important that you start in mind of the customer, and that can be both internally or externally. And so starting with that has really benefited us in terms of innovation. Yeah, I mean, you're right. There's so many. I just keep going back to the fact that I feel like you guys have cycled through so many waves of injection molding, and I, I'm... I could make this podcast uh, 55 more minutes just on <laughs> just on that. So I, I apologize. I'm all over the place today. Um, you know, 
I think, you know, saying like stuff about how it starts with, you know, your, um, your people on the floor and making sure that they're being able to do their best job. And then I think that like ties into what, you know, Mercedes, you were saying about Gretchen before with bringing the operators into a meeting, like, you know, how many times have you heard? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I loved that. Um, this has a point, uh, the hot Cheetos documentary on, uh, Hulu, how it was the guy on the floor who just loved Cheetos and, you know, wanted to do something that his family would uh, eat and enjoy. And like, that's, you know, where this huge spinoff of an entire business came from. And I, I really appreciate seeing that thought put back into a company that can seem so straightforward as an injection molding company. Like, it gets me really jazzed up, probably more than it should, but um, it does. <laughs> well, I think one thing I'd add is that, um, you know, one of the side benefits of being co-CEOs is that instead of two years, we have six, meaning, you know, my sisters are walking on the floor when I'm not. I'm walking on the floor when they're not. And so there is more exposure. You know, Gresham can be in a supply chain meeting. Charlie can be in an HR meeting. I could be in Europe visiting a trusty lot customer all at the same time. So I think that has benefited us. And then also, uh, I think the other thing that's benefited the three of us is that, you know, let's call out, you know, the elephant in the room. It, it, a lot of companies don't have co-CEOs because it takes a certain level of humility. And, and mm-hmm. the last thing I would want to say on this podcast, you know, oh, we're humble people, because that automatically means that we're not. But <laughs> we'll say it for you. <laughs> yeah, we're doing this and we're, we're finding a way to, you know, learn and continue to get better as co-CEOs. Um, but the point I was trying to make here is that part of the way that we're doing that is we have very, you know, people that are smarter than us coming in to speak to us, whether it's industry insiders, going to a plastics industry association event, going to a map event. Um, you know, my sisters are in Vistage. I'm in, you know, I go to the uh, a benchmarking group myself. So we're we're seeking that outside, you know, outside help. And I think, you know, Lindsay, that's kind of that helps us along the way of kind of anticipating what's coming down the pipeline, what you know, and anticipating how to um, pivot the business uh, for the future. Yeah, and, and I think you're right. Like I, I would I would call you guys humble. You know, I'll say it for you so that way. <laughs> don't have to write but yeah humble yeah humble okay yeah, yeah, humble. <laughs> it's cemented it's plastics approved we can go on with this but no truly i mean i can think to a lot of people in leadership i have met over the years and i don't know how many would equally accept input from other people in a that position there's there's typically one person saying i have the final say and that can lead to a lot of toxicity in jobs and companies. And when you were saying, you know, the values, the family, integrity, service, and trust, there are companies that will tell you, we're family, we're family. And it's in the, we are just going to burn you out kind of way. (laughs) Um, And, but I think when you, you know, have all these other, you know, you guys are actually literally walking the walk (laughs) and proving that look at we we are family actually and we can also make this family without taking it to that point of using it as a weapon you guys are very much using it to a strength and i really i really love to see that i it it is a rarity 
You know, I got a phone call last week from one of our employees and, and he's had crisis in his family and we had just told him to stay home. And he goes, I just want you to know that I know you say family is part of your values, but you actually live it. And that really means a lot to our, to, to the employees. And that's when you know that what you say and what you do really add up together, right? Well, and to, to add to that too, I mean, we have multiple long-term employees that are multi-generational here. And our, our longest tenured employee, who's a female, 53 years, has been with us. So it's, you know, it, it's a lot of giving back to us for us hopefully providing a really safe, really positive work environment um, and, and a work environment where they know that leadership really cares. Yeah, 53 years as a woman in plastics, that... That's a, right. That might be kind of record. I was going to say, she's <laughs> an award or something. Not <laughs> Lizzie. We got to have her on there. <laughs> so now you have, I believe, over 350 employees. Is that correct? Just about. Yes. Uh-huh. So um, I assume that you want to keep carrying on this tradition for future generations. Will there be a G4? Um, and what, what does the future? And can we call them out now? <laughs> <laughs> Well, are, they, are, they, are they doing internships now and saying, I'm never coming back here? <laughs> We're gonna Those are the ones you want to look at. <laughs> We're going to start them. Yeah, but there's actually nine G4 members, if I'm doing the Ooh. math part in my head really quick. And yeah, that's that's the goal. I mean, the goal that Alex Crutch and I are working on is, you know, family stewardship to get this company to G4. So doing the hard work now to make sure that, you know, the family governance is in, is set up and that all the you know pieces are in place so that we can successfully transition this business and, and the hopes that someone will step up and be interested. But I think with nine of them, there's a good chance. Yeah, I was going to add um, back to Jeff, who uh, was our VP of Ops. He walked into my office a couple months ago and said, hey, what if we had G4 start coming to the plant? next year? What if I developed a little bit of a curriculum for them? Um, and so I have three kids that are 12, 10, and um, seven. And so, you know, two boys and a girl. And I said, you know, they're probably at that stage where they'd be interested. And so- I, Never too early for an injection molding machine. What's that? You're never too, it's never too early for an injection molding machine. I think oh. pictures of, of baby Henry, of Lindsay's firstborn, like he was probably six months at the time, maybe? Probably, yeah. And an injection molder in between two injection molders. <laughs> <laughs> so that was an indicator to me, though, because any good leader is always thinking about succession and, and the Hoffer family's just a small part of the succession, but it's definitely part of it for us. And so, uh, Jeff's had the same conversation with Gretchen and Charlotte, um, and we're, you know, going to be implementing that in uh, 2024. So it'll be a lot of fun having some youth in the building. I think that's, I think that's awesome. I love hearing about, I mean, even if they weren't, obviously not all nine are going to, I think nine CEOs might be too many. I personally, I've never been a CEO, so I can't speak on that. But nine might be too many. Nine Supreme Court justices—they disagree all the time. And listen, that's going flawlessly. Um, You know, so even if you know, however many two thirds of them decide not to be involved, they still have that exposure to uh, plastics in a non-negative way and can use that to influence and create trust in this industry that sometimes is so 
sorely lacking that. And if any of them can TikTok, tell them we need more plastic TikToks. We talk about it all the time. Yes, we do. <laughs> so. 100% agree, Lindsay. We need <laughs> many more influencers on TikTok yes. that are pro plastic. Yes, Mercedes and I have tried, but we are too tired. Too <laughs> <laughs> many other things. <laughs> too tired. So, well, you know, guys, it has been really great to have you on here. I think we're just about out of time right now. Uh, it's, I love seeing, even in this, um, this virtual forum, I was, I was a little nervous that, you know, you have in a big group, sometimes people are talking over each other. Um, you can see that you guys all have that like mutual respect for each other. And it just really comes across even in a, in a Zoom call. So um, we we really appreciate your time and thank you so much for being a part of our, our podcast today. Thank you so much for having us. We greatly appreciate it. And uh, are there any upcoming trade shows or events where people might be able to meet you in person? Our team will be at MD&M in early 2024. We are always at Global Pouch Forum, which is, I believe, in June of next year, June 2024. Alex, what am I missing? Well, I'll be at the Plastics Industry Association meetings. Uh, I believe there's one in March, and then there'll be one in the fall. Uh, of course, the MAP benchmarking, which gets into the fall of next year, and then PAC Expo as well. We'll have a presence there. So those are the those are the big hitters, but you can find Oh, Alex, you'll be at NPE too. That is correct. I'll be at NPE. Be there. <laughs> be there. We'll see you there. And I, we should also give a, Alex, you, you, one last, one last note. I want to give a shout out to your blog. Alex um, also was, was named um, one yes. and by Plastics News as one of the social media accounts to follow. He posts great content. Uh, I would start with, with LinkedIn, but, uh, but he has a fantastic blog where he also talks about some of his leadership uh, lessons that he's learned. Um, AlexHoffer.me. So check that out if you're interested in leadership. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Plastics. New episodes appear on the first Friday of every month. So either follow or subscribe to get those new episodes ASAP. Plastics, the Voices of Resin, is a plastics podcast sponsored by SPE, Inspiring Plastics Professionals. If you want to find out more about SPE, please visit for, like the number, SPE.org. Oh, plastics.